Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. Thriving. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah. We're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nope-a-dope, man. (laughs) We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. Sure do. We also like to fast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we like to not eat sometimes. Yeah. We also like to sometimes diverge from our script at the beginning of the show. And every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. No, it cannot. So, let's start podcast number 103, Ivor Cummins on Heart Science. Could you save your due for a little? So, buddy, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? That was uh, Zoe Rock's part the two. Part the two. I think we did a, well, we were rubbish, but Zoe was awesome. (laughs) Zoe was great. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, no corrections for that show. So, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. A ketogenic diet is zero sugar or starch. A minimum of carbohydrates that you get from green leafy veg, from eggs, from nuts. You really want to keep your carbohydrate under 20 grams per day. Yeah. And you want to get all of your energy from fat. Now, that uh, fat could be fat on your body or fat on your plate. Yep. Uh, but when you first start a ketogenic diet, it's you're probably going to be eating a lot of high-fat food. Yep. But once you become fat-adapted, your body doesn't care where it gets the energy from. It could be quite happy getting it off the plate or off your body. And at that point, you're off to the races. Yes. Yes. So, how was your week, man? Uh, my week was interesting. I, I I still have ketones out the wazoo. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what a wazoo is, but I have ketones out of mine. Must be an Aussie thing. <laughs> so, I've lost uh, in the past month, it's now the end of January or beginning of February, and in the month of January, I lost 4.8 kilograms eating porchetta to satiety. That's so cool. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, yeah. And my insulin at the same time was down three points. And uh, the interesting thing is a lot of other people on the forum have reported similar results when they did what I did, which was supplement a small amount of glycine every day. Really? And, yeah, we've had people say that uh, that they've only just started doing this, but what a difference. According to their Fitbit Alta uh, heart rate monitor, hmm. they're getting significantly more REM deep sleep and less waking time. And for them, sleep has been an issue. So it's quite possible that the mechanism here is that uh, glycine helps promote uh, restful sleep and maybe uh, maybe my problem ha- was actually sleep. We don't really know what what's doing this. Yeah, maybe. See, I was supplementing glycine to uh, help contribute 
to my ability to make collagen to uh, stabilize my jaw with, for, for a dental implant. Mm. Uh, so, and I, I was eat, you know eating a lot of food with collagen in it, like uh, pork belly and uh, chicken skin. Mm. But um, the interesting thing is that when I mentioned this on the on the podcast. Listeners have been on the ketogenic forum saying, you know, I tried the same thing and it's happened to me. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there, there are some people saying, you know, um, well, you know, I don't feel bad about balancing all the steak I ate with pork cracklings anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a so, very, uh, very interesting finding. And, uh, you know, it's amazing having a community like this that can, you know, yeah. where you can do these, you know, ad hoc kind of self studies and see what happens. Yeah, I, there's no rigor behind it, really. No. Until somebody can provide a mechanism, what I personally plan to do is at the end of uh, about another 10 weeks, they're going to do what's called a torque test on the implant, which is where they basically see if it's bonded to the bone ah. um, and uh, the bone of my jaw. And once I've passed that, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, clamp, uh, I'm going to basically drop glycine completely and try and go for a high methionine, a high muscle meat diet, hmm. get rid of all of the connective tissue skin in my diet for a couple of weeks mm. and see if I can wrench the uh, my uh, biomarkers in the other direction and then slowly increase the amount of uh, uh, collagen in my diet and or glycine hmm. supplementation to see if I can work out what the least effective dose is for me. But um, it's certainly uh, – I have never seen ketones as high as I'm getting currently in the four years of in ketosis. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is that we still don't know uh, that you're making more ketones or using right. less ketones. Yeah. You know, I mean, all it shows you really is that you're in ketosis, but yeah. it could be that your body is using less, so there's more in the blood. Well, we do know that, that insulin inhibits the process of making ketones. Of making insulin, ketones. That's okay. right. So, insulin uh, diverts the energy that would otherwise go into making ketones into making fat. So, oh, okay. um, and in fact, for people who are diabetic, that inhibition that uh, caused that to happen is some 60-fold greater. So, it's it really it, – this is one of the reasons, I believe, why um, type 2 diabetics generally have uh, lower levels of ketosis because uh, you look at Tim Noakes. He has type 2 diabetes like I have. Yeah. Um, he's quite slim. I mean, I'm, I'm not slim, but um, I'm athletic, and uh, and he and I both – produce ketones in a similar range between um, 0.2 and 0.8 most mm. days. And the only time that he ever gets ketones up above one and a half is when he fasts for a, for a day or so and then does a, a, a marathon. And mm. for me, I, the only time it really happens is when I fast for two or three days yeah. and then do like a 100K bike ride. So um, it, 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 could, it could well be that uh, for people like us who have high fasting insulin, that puts a flaw under the amount of ketones that we're going to make and we really need to be stressing our body uh, big time to produce a lot of ketones. Not that that's ever been a goal or an outcome of sure. mine, uh, but it's an interesting biomarker to, to measure. So you mentioned that glycine helps you sleep. Are you actually getting more sleep now? I'm not noticing it. And I have one of these um, uh, Garmin trackers on my wrist all the time, and it's mm -hmm. not noticing that I'm getting better sleep. So, huh. um, But there have been people with uh, Fitbits who have seen a significant increase in their sleep. Interesting. My, my sleep, my diurnal patterns, my circadian rhythms are horrible. They always They're still bad. And 
they always have been. And yeah, I, I, it's going to get w- probably better this year because I'm going to university mm. and uh, most of my lectures start at nine o'clock in the morning. Mm. And normally at nine o'clock in the morning, I'm just starting to get ready to go to sleep. So, <laughs> 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 so uh, it's oh. going to be interesting. This, this year is going to put me into a little bit of a uh, sleep straitjacket. So <laughs> very cool. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. So how was your week, huh? My week was great, man. I think I've hit a breakthrough in that I don't have any uh, resistance or struggle just jumping right into a fast. Yeah. I feel like I have now the power to fast at will Mm. without any anxiety, without any hunger, without any feeling bad. Like, uh, I I don't know. It's just like a switch has been flipped. And and I never felt bad. Like, when I'm fasted, Mm. I haven't felt bad. But, you know, you do have that first day is kind of hard. Yeah, the first day is a bit rough. Yeah, it's a bit rough, but not anymore. And I don't know if it's a physiological thing or a psychological thing, but after doing it um, more, more often, mm-hmm. I just feel like I've hit a new level of adeptness at fasting. Yeah. so That's what Megan calls uh, uh, exercising your fasting muscle. Yeah, right, right. I actually think Jimmy came up with that one, but... Him, but uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like giving something away. Yeah, some loot. What do we got? Don't tell me we're going to give away another mug. <laughs> yeah, of course we're going to give away another coffee mug. Uh, Put that so, mug's on it. <laughs> right, exactly. It says "Keep Calm and Keto on." It's got our faces on it, and yeah. uh, we we give one away every show to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes Fan Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to join the fan club, you go to fanclub.twoketo.com and uh, answer yep. a few questions. And your your name and email address goes into a pool, and uh, mm-hmm. we pick somebody at random every show and send them a mug. Nice. So today's winner is James Tallman. Well done, James. Congratulations. Well done, James. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes, and if you don't want to wait to win a mug, you can always buy one at gear.2kilo.com or pick up a T-shirt or a onesie. Or yeah. I'm sure there's all sorts of things with our faces on them. That's right. More things than we care to admit. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to a very special segment of our show called... That everybody loves. Mail! and sweet. Mail! So I've got a mail. This one's from the Ketogenic Forum. And this is from Chris, who's a regular on the ketogenic forum and he says i started cutting carbs in october of 2016 and within three weeks i was able to stop all of my type 2 diabetic meds and most of my blood pressure meds now 2017 is in the books i pulled the data from my pharmacy to see the cost savings from one year of taking far fewer prescription medications so in 2016, his total cost of prescription medications was $15,946.90. His total cost of prescription medications in 2017 was $1,852.04. So he's gone from $16,000 a year in prescription meds to uh, just under 2000 and this is costing the UK taxpayer. Yes, that's right. So he's basically taking uh, a cost off of the burden of the state. That's right. That's yeah, incredible. It is. Imagine if all ty- type two. This is why uh, Dr. David Unwin is working so hard in the UK to to help type two diabetics because 
up until recently, we all thought that type 2 diabetes was a progressive disease, that it wasn't reversible. But we're showing here that not only is it reversible, but the cost to the taxpayer significantly drops. And when you think, you know, there are um, probably, uh, I'm, I'm just guessing here, maybe a million uh, UK um, uh, diabetics who are, who are all probably uh, billing the taxpayer $16,000 a year. Yeah. Who could go to two thousand dollars a year now? Now Chris reckons that in twenty eighteen he'll be cutting that in roughly in half again, so it'll go down to one thousand dollars a year, and it's probably only his residual blood pressure meds. He may even go off all of those as well. So hmm. you know this is remarkable. It really shows that it's just as much of a cost saving issue as it is a health issue, a life saving issue. Well, the two really should be synonymous because when you think about it, people who are diabetic who are out on the road and badly diabetic and have uncontrolled glucose um, are at risk of uh, going into sudden diabetic comas and taking out other uh, road users. You know, yeah. th- this is th- these are all costs that that we need to add. It's not just the the physical costs to the individual of their medication and losing limbs sure. and losing eyesight, but the entire society is damaged by people being sick. And so, even if you don't live in a society that has socialized medicine, if you have health insurance, your health insurance premiums go up when the yeah. health insurance company has to pay more for medications. And yeah. so, even if you don't live in a society that has socialized medicine, your costs are shared if you're in the health system uh, using private insurance. And if you're not in the health system, I feel sorry, you know, yeah, that, that you, you have real troubles. So, um, yeah, so it, wow, that's it's amazing. remarkable. What a difference. Um, a, a small intervention like, hey, mm. I just don't eat sugar or starch. Right. <laughs> it's incredible, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's my mouth. So what do you got there? Well, this one is uh, is an iTunes, otherwise known as Apple Podcast review. Mm-hmm. And, That's uh, this, what they're calling it this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, right. So, <laughs> this is from April of 2017. Okay. Uh, and it says, I'm really addicted to these podcasts. I started keto January 1, 2017, because I couldn't get a hold on the creeping weight gain of middle age that many females experience. Mm. I had a hysterectomy one year earlier, and the weight just seemed to creep on and on. Mm-hmm. My doctor put me on an Atkins diet, and I started educating myself. I found keto and started listening to the two dudes and realized that this diet was really what my body needed. I'm losing my weight slowly, but I feel better than I ever have, and I have more energy, and I'm toning up and losing inches, and most of all, my clothes are fitting better than ever. (laughs) Wow. I've only lost eight pounds up to this point, but I feel so good, I really don't care. Yeah. I love going through my day, never feeling like I'm starving. I get so much more done, and I like not being exhausted at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Mm. This is the most attention I've ever paid to my nutrition, and I find the podcast informative as well as inspiring. Thanks, dudes, for helping me. Well done. Yeah, well done. Isn't it remarkable that, I mean, people get into diets for weight loss, but in the case of a ketogenic diet, you just start feeling so good so quickly. Yeah. That that becomes the reason why you're doing it. The weight loss is really a, a, a minor thing compared sure. to getting control over your glucose swings and roller coasters, getting off the glucose roller coaster. And you don't really realize it until you've you've gone through it, and you you real you you wake up one day and you feel so good, and you're like, oh, so this yeah. is what a feeling alive, you know, it's like. Yeah. I I had a call from a mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy who. Uh, 
Uh, and I won't tell you who he is, but he, he was one of my first bosses in the software okay. business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like many people pushing 70, he's, you know, his gut's growing and, uh, you know, he's trying to get a hold of it. And he saw the things that I posted on Facebook, et cetera, right. and, you know, was pretty impressed. But he said, I'm not into the cult of <laughs> keto. And I Fair said, enough. well, you know, that's okay. I, it, it does kind of like seem health. like it. No, no, <laughs> yeah. of course it isn't. This, there's, <laughs> it's not that organized, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's haphazard. And he's right that there's so much BS out there if you just start Googling things. And, yeah. um, you know, so, so finding the right resources is important. But, but I thought about that. You know, why are people so zealous about, the ketogenic diet and you know the the word sounds like a product keto you know yeah yeah it sounds kind of producty and systemy and you know just Mm. follow these instructions and really the instructions are are pretty pretty simple but Mm. um but anyway he's like i I just want to lose 30 pounds 40 pounds and you know i don't want to i don't want to you know get into the science and have to all this stuff and and i'm not gonna you know drink the kool-aid you know, metaphorically speaking. Don't drink speaking. the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eat bacon and eggs. <laughs> it's not all about Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he, uh, so I said, but you know, you say that now, but mm, once yeah. you start feeling so good yeah, and you don't consider starchy and sugary things food anymore, which right. you won't, and I know you can't yeah. understand that now, but you're just not, you're going to want to do this all the time. Yeah. You're going to want to be in that state. 24 7 and he he didn't believe me he goes oh, okay well we'll see i just want to lose some weight <laughs> yeah. Yeah. come for the weight loss stay for the mental clarity <laughs> yeah and everything else stay yeah. for all the other non-scale victories all right well we have uh, an interview here with none other than mr ivor cummins who uh, we've had on the show several times um he and jeff gerber have teamed up to uh write a book And it's just coming out here very shortly. And uh, we haven't talked to Ivor in a while about, you know, heart science and some other issues. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Ivor Cummins, welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. Hey, Carl, Richard. Great to be here again. Yeah, good day, (laughs) Ivor. Great to talk to you. It's been a while. You've been up to a few things, I hear. Yeah, I've been relatively busy the last few months. So, um, we had a rush, uh, to get the book finished completely for the print run, uh, which is releasing on the 26th of February coming in the US. Nice. What's the book all about? Uh, the book is called Eat Rich, Live Long and, uh, slightly ambiguous title there intentionally. Um, so obviously the eat rich means rich, nutrient dense, ancestral foods, low carb, uh, as opposed to, you know, foods that are expensive. That's absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it's about longevity, avoiding cardiovascular disease and other modern chronic diseases. And it pretty much gives you all you need to know largely about having a longer, healthier life and more productive life um, and avoiding the big diseases uh, without going into really nerdy, crazy detail, you know. Yeah. So your co-author is uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gerber, Denver's Diet Doctor. Yeah, Jeff's been uh, 15 years plus on low carb and treating cardiovascular disease and mm. all the other problems, obesity, uh, highly mm. successfully with low carb diets and, and keto diets as required. And uh, yeah, he, he always wanted to write a book. So when he found me a few years ago, we had a collaboration that's run now for four or five years. 
and uh, we teamed up on this one so it's been really great because he has all the clinical experience sure. pretty much every chapter there's a patient story uh, to illustrate that chapter uh, so a lot of patient stories you know some patient data that permission was given hba1c's collapsing mm. over a few weeks which you're very familiar right. with sure um, am yeah, yeah absolutely so it's it's been really good um I was going to release a book around two years ago, but it would have been written a little too complex and a little like blog posts. But we had the benefit right. since then of a professional editor, Tom Miller, out in New York with Carol Mann Agencies. Mm. And the two editors with the Victory Belt Publisher have been fantastic too. So absolute uh, bloodhounds, every reference citation, everything that was in any way ambiguous in the in the narrative you know, question, mm. challenged, tweaked. So I'm really, really happy. Tightened up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, so Lovely. So it's really aimed at, at more ordinary people rather than low-carb uh, enthusiasts who already have a lot of awareness. We're hoping to reach with low-carb science out to a broader audience, people who can benefit, yeah. who, are, who are not sure about lower carb means higher fat. Is fat not bad for your heart? You know, people yeah. who are not sure, this will set them straight, we believe. Lovely, yeah. Those are the people we want to reach as well. Mm. It, you know, the ones that already get it, you're, you know, you're preaching to the choir at a certain point. Exactly. They're the support network rather than, yeah, the customer, if you will. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We're also going for the long game. Our, our goal is to try and teach uh, people to become experts in their own communities and to be the go-to person and and to share that share the information to dumb it down for their people and and so things like this book is going to be wonderful for our listeners to share with people to to teach them the basics. I mean that's the thing. I mean our listeners probably know it a, a lot of the stuff themselves, but they're they're lacking the resources and tools. So this book will be awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Yeah. What's been on your mind? What's uh, what's annoying you lately, Ivor? Oh, what's annoying me lately? Well, bar all the rush to get all that done. Um, yeah, there's a few things floating. I, I, I get pummeled every time there's a new study which seems to conflict with what we say. <laughs> uh, right, what yeah. was the latest one? Oh, there was a rat study. I think it was rat, not mouse. And they said that mm. there was accelerated growth of tumors in these tumor-prone rats when they fed them a keto high fat diet. So Oh no. Yeah, okay. that's, that's worrying, right? And and it's ironic yeah. because we know that all the evidence points towards keto being anti cancer or preventative, if anything, or helpful. Sure. Uh, mm. And here yeah. we have this study. So you have to suspect that there's something wrong with the study. Now I, I don't like being biased. You know, I looked at it with an open mm -hmm. mind, the full paper. Yep. And it only took around 30 to 60 seconds to find out what was wrong. Um, essentially, the rat's diet was 11% corn oil, right? Omega-6 oh. corn oil, yeah. Which yeah, we, of course. We know the question marks around omega-6 industrial oils and, and carcinogenesis. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the protein was isolated casein, 11% of, of refined Yuck. casein. Yeah, and we know there's a lot of question marks around that as well. Uh, and then there's lard and butter um, and right. maltodextrin and other other stuff. So basically a highly processed, high omega-6 corn oil casein laboratory diet. And they didn't give yeah. the control Incredible. diet for the other rats. 
but they said it was normal, right. healthy rat chow. So, sure. so ah. it's, a, it's a wash, right? It's complete junk. Yeah. But the media, of course, yeah. and I get all the emails then from people, yeah, a bit concerned. Mm. And uh, mm. we're going to have to keep doing that. Every time one of these junk studies comes up, we just have to quickly review it, point out the problems and, and move on, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We had the same problem with uh, Professor Mouse in Australia, oh. Soft Andropolis. And, and so the genesis of that is actually quite interesting. It all came a- around because of climate change. So what actually happened was that the, we had a change of government. We went from a, from a socialist-leaning government to a conservative-leaning government. And of course, you know, they, they decided climate change was all bunk and that the, that the CSIRO, which is the organisation that is responsible for, it's the peak science body in Australia, they would henceforward only do research on subjects that could produce um, a, a, a benefit, a financial benefit. And so there was a scurrying around in the CSIRO to find any studies that they could they could uh, find that showed a scientific benefit that would be a cash benefit to the bottom line of the government. We have socialised medicine here in Australia, and they found this study, uh, Brinkworth study, which is um, into uh, paleo diets and how paleo diets would potentially um, decrease the cost of uh, diabetic medication. And the Australian government spends $186 million a year on diabetic medication. So that would appear to be perfect. As far as the peak body in science the csiro goes this is the ideal study that shows that their their benefit and why they should be continued to be funded yeah and so this study came out and (laughs) this guy soft androcopolis was he was one of the reviewers of this study and within about four months of this study hitting there was this paleo mouse study where uh where he in theory fed mice a paleolithic diet they fed um basically cacao butter and casein and uh sucrose this is, this is the, 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 the paleo, yeah. paleo paleolithic white chocolate yeah. <laughs> essentially <laughs> yeah. and, and it was just a it was a rat bag study but it was literally made to cast aspersions on the on the on this diet um, study that had been done by the CSIRO. Well, the CSIRO eventually wrote a book about this thing and it's become a bestseller in Australia. And the CSIRO diet, which is a, a lower-carb paleolithic-style diet, has become um, pretty much it, – it, it's going the same way as Banting went in South Africa. Mm. So, you know, it's wonderful, a wonderful outcome. But Wow. The whole soft Androcopolis Professor Mouse thing was just – Incredible. It, it was farcical. Uh, but, Richard, I didn't actually have all the backstory. I knew the guy. I saw the articles. I read the study. It was nine mice, I think, five with one thing, four with another. It was a complete joke. Um, but I didn't know the backstory and the CSIRO was so involved. And I didn't know right. the, the outcome <laughs> that now there's this popularization. So that's that's a great outcome. But you'd wonder as well, what drove him? I mean, was he personally had some vendetta I mean, what, what would drive someone to rush off and do a BS mouse study to counter yeah. a reasonably good one? Like, it, cold, it, hard cash, Ira. Oh, uh, possibly. Well, it could be cognitive dissonance as well. I mean, maybe he, I mean, he just, he just believes that the low fat plant based approach is the logical way that everything should work. And any, mm. any studies that don't support that. Obviously, must be wrong, right. and he has to rush out. And well, <laughs> that's that's my assumption. We, we I, should have him on. We one learned day. a few things from Zoe Harcombe in the last couple of weeks. 
about how study data is manipulated. And one of them is they, uh, when they're comparing things, especially in epidemiological studies, they, they give a relative risk versus an absolute risk. And a relative risk could be, you know, 78% increase in cancer tumors or whatever. But when you look at the actual risk, it might go from 0.14 to 0.2. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> and this so, is a huge, huge problem. And it's the same with the medications. The relative, you're going to have a 40% reduction in heart disease risk, but it's in a cohort of people where the non-drug had 0.9% and the drug right. people had 0.5%. It really doesn't mean much at all. And there's potential side effects. So if you look at the big picture, you say, hold on a minute, but the docs here, 40%. Wow, that's nearly having heart disease. Right, right. Fantastic. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 40% of point something mm. doesn't make much. And the other thing was uh, looking at all-cause mortality as well. If you have a... Um, even a 100% relative risk in developing a tumor, but your all-cause mortality goes down absolutely by 50%. What does that tell you? Exactly. Yeah. If you focus, that's another great trick. Just focus on the disease that the drug affects slightly beneficially and put the spotlight on that. And if more people actually end up dying on the drug slightly because of other problems, just, just don't really go there. Just don't discuss right. it. Just ignore it. Uh, there was a really fun one. The Veterans Administration uh, was a polyunsaturated versus saturated fat study back in the 60s. And it was reasonably well right. controlled. And they showed a genuine reduction in heart events, uh, which in mm -hmm. fairness, for people who are eating a standard American diet, swapping saturated for polyunsaturated may give a shortish term reduction in events due to blood clotting and other changes. However, sure. it did not reduce cardiovascular mortality or all-cause. Mm. It was a wash. Mm -hmm. And when they investigated a year later, the team published a paper and said, well, actually, the reason the cardiovascular events went down quite a bit, but the mortality didn't change, uh, was there was an increase in cancer deaths, statistically significant. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Ouch. <laughs> and they mused at this and they did more analysis and they said, mm, yes, this is kind of worrying and... We're not really sure what's going on here. And uh, that was kind of the way the paper ended where, well, yeah, okay. But after that, people stayed <laughs> well clear. <laughs> people didn't want to go yeah. near the polyunsaturated cancer question because sure. yeah. they didn't want that. They want a simple message. Heart healthy polys. Don't be looking at all mm -hmm. cause. Don't be looking at uh, cancer. Right. Hey, hey right. Come, come away from there. L look at this. We have reduced heart attack. And even when they reduce the rate of heart attacks, one thing that's never clear they have, say, 20% lower heart attacks in two years. But sure. over a long period, they don't know. It can reverse. Mm. And the other thing is mm. how long the heart attacks were not magically prevented forever. So the guys who, had, who, had, who did not have the heart attacks uh, might have not had them for, for six months more. Right. So wow. they're not even mortality, and it's only deferring them a bit. <laughs> It's, it's incredible. It's incredible hey, Ivra, there's a great resource that I discovered recently, and I didn't know it was there, but it's been around since the year 2000. It's put up by the U.S. government called clinicaltrials.gov. Yeah. Have you seen this website? Yes, and I think they're now trying to have it that you have to, uh, you have to advertise your trial and your endpoint you're measuring and your statistical stuff in advance. 
Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Whether it, you get results or not. So, we actually get to see those studies that were performed. Yeah. Well, that's another story, actually. But I'm, I'm talking about if you, as a researcher, want to look up trials that have been done on a particular subject, it's a really great resource to, to be able to browse and find things yeah it is and it's, it's very good when you well when one isn't finally published or anything you can still see the background and what's going on yeah. uh, i don't think right. i don't think they have hot links to the study papers but but they give you all the details and you can go and dig it out yeah it's, it's mm. pretty good uh there's another one where they're trying to um i think it's uk and europe europe based they're trying to do a similar thing called all trials and that is that all right. trials will get published. Uh, you do not have a choice not to publish. You must share the awesome. data, even if it went against you. Now, that one is being blocked by industry, and that's an sure. ongoing fight. They do not want all trials to be published. Of course they don't. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if it's all coming from the public purse to fund these trials, mm. then how can they refuse? It, it, right. and, you know, unless they're entirely funding the... The, the science. Unless they're uh, completely corrupt, but that would never happen. Yeah. No. <laughs> it doesn't I mean, happen ever. I mean, it's not like these guys are in it for the profit. This is a philanthropy no. effort. Of course. <laughs> it's all about saving lives. Yeah. <laughs> their lives. Yeah. Their lives. The luxury of their lives. <laughs> Indeed. So, speaking of saving their lives, uh, something came up in the news recently, and I thought I should talk to Ivor about this. Um, and this is it related to the U.S. president. Now, something you told us uh, at a previous episode was that uh, all astronauts and presidents have a, a calcium score. And uh, and we all know that um, President Trump has uh, recently had his naval um, uh, medical check that they have, the presidents have to have every year. They look in his and naval? And they've announced... Yeah, <laughs> I certainly hope <laughs> not. Do they find any flaws? So, uh, <laughs> you would expect so. It, in fact, there was actually an Australian uh, scientist, a well-known um, uh, public scientist called Carl Krusneski, who won an Ig Nobel Prize for <laughs> writing a paper on the accretion of belly button fluff. Awesome. <laughs> but you've got me going down the <laughs> rabbit hole. That, so President Trump had a calcium score done because apparently all presidents get this done by routine, and his calcium score was 133. And his calcium score in 2009, the last one that he had done, was 33. And so that shows a progression in his calcium score. And a couple of people have made comments about, you know, about that relating to his risk of uh, cardiovascular disease and heart, heart attacks. But I found it interesting that it's a teachable moment that calcium scores are finally coming into the, into the public discourse. Yeah. And it also, um, shows how stressful the presidency is. I mean, we, we see people who go into the U.S. presidency. They look young before they go in, and after they come out, they look like they've aged 25 years. And uh, I imagine that, you know, no matter who you are as a president, you're, you're probably going to develop uh, some metabolic syndrome based on stress and cortisol level. Yeah, I'd agree. That it's a massively stressful job. There's no doubt about it. Uh, again, it depends on the person. I mean, maybe Trump handles stress very well and is not as bothered. Maybe Obama would agonize and think over every point and really wind himself up. I mean, who, it, it'll vary. But yeah, it's, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, 
there, the, the score actually, interestingly, yeah, a lot of people sent me that. And going from the 30s to 130 over whatever it was, nine or 10 years, it, it's only six or seven percent per year annualized. Right. And the data, it's not a slam dunk, but the data would suggest that if you're over 10 or 15 percent per year, you've got a very high risk and you're approaching an event. And if you're mm. below 10 percent a year, you you have relatively stable disease and, and less likely to have an event. Right. He's the 50th percentile for his age, so he's kind of average, and his increase mm-hmm. per year is 7%. We don't have his density and volume numbers because someone whose density is increasing uh, more so than the volume of the plaque um, right. is, at, is at relatively lesser risk also. Um, they they hmm. give his Agatstone score, which is a combination of density and volume. If you could see both, you'd sure. have a better idea. But all in all, for a guy who eats very badly and is under stress and he's overweight, you know, 7% a year you could perceive as reasonably stable. Uh, you know, hmm. it's all relative. Um, but it is great, hmm. as you say, Richard, that it's getting out there because everyone's talking about this calcium score he got. And most Americans and most doctors won't even have been sure what that was. That's true, yeah. yeah. Clearly, it's a presidential test that's really important. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So the other thing is that uh, George W. Bush had a a calcium score of 24 that was stable through the entire presidency. So he had eight tests all at 24. So he wasn't growing, which that's quite unusual. Well, George Bush, um, he was jogging a lot. He had stopped drinking. I think he was reasonably trying to eat healthy and he wasn't that overweight. I think he was regularly jogging. Um, so he, yeah. he might have been reasonably healthy. And like you say, he might not have felt the stress so much by his personality. Mm. You know, he might not have been yes. as wound up. Um, yeah. But that's a great result. I mean, to stay stable for many, many years is an excellent result. It's as good as yeah. a zero. Right. It's as good as a zero, largely. Speaking of which, Obama, who was a smoker had a zero through his entire presidency. So he really was no drama Obama. Whoa. Um, and so that was that was interesting as well. I didn't know so, that. That's no. interesting. Yeah. So it, it, it just goes to show you that a lot of this is genetic. I mean, you, you, you roll the dice, but you, you, the dice, the numbers, the number of numbers on your dice is set by your genes. So. Well, yeah, the way I like to look at it is your susceptibility is set by your genes mostly. So, um, mm. so essentially, if you have bad genes, it means you are very prone to getting heart disease in the wrong environment. And some other, right, some other guy right. with good genes can, can eat the crap and live in the bad environment and be okay. So even when it's genetic, it's still the environment that matters. That's what takes fate. you down. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. it, it endlessly fascinates people. You know, this guy drank Coca-Cola and he eats junk food and, and he's got a zero at 58. And then you get another guy who was fitness freak and at 52, he comes in with a high score and he gets a bypass. Yeah. It is genetics, but, um, right. But if they both had had a perfect diet and the right diet, the right environment, they'd both be okay. I'm but not I- sold on the whole genetic thing i think that's Mm. that's a sort of catch-all category when we don't know the answer there is that that does annoy me about it carol it's a cop-out because it's a cop-out yeah a lot of people say oh it's genetics and then you throw your hands up yeah but the people with the worst genetic exposure if they do the right thing they can be as safe as an average guy yeah yes 
And that's a huge prize. Imagine having a genetic sure. uh, shotgun loaded and you discover <laughs> the way to basically take the firing pins out. I mean, it's, fun, it's right. even better than just staying healthy for an average person. You, you be dodged the bullet. But, but if you say yeah. it's just genetics, it's like, well, you can't do anything. And that, that's such a failure. When somebody says that, I like to say, what genes? Yeah, they are done. What do they do? <laughs> what, how they express themselves? Yeah. That'll get a lot in of In some cases, it will be. In some cases, they're going to have an answer for you because yeah, you're in right. some cases, we actually know which genes cause which proteins to be made and what they cause. So Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're going to get caught out one day. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I just think that, you know, that, that it is a cop-out most of the time. Well, yeah, there's, there's APOE4 genetic type. I am one of those. Oh, right. Yeah, and it, it's okay. 17% of the population. My wife is also APOE4. And there's around a 1.3x risk of heart disease higher, which is not huge um, on average from some big studies. But there's a 3x to 5 or 6x risk for Alzheimer's, particularly in women. I think it's 5 or 6 or 7 times. So a massive oh, wow. exposure to Alzheimer's. So ApoE4 are the oldest ancestral allele, the oldest genotype, and they are the most mm. exposed to the modern environment that causes these diseases. So, wow. uh, but if you're APOE4 and you go low carb, no refined carb, no sugar, healthy, high fat diet, the oldest human diet, you won't get Alzheimer's. You won't get heart disease. Mm. Yeah. So even APOE4, which is more and more getting press, it all depends on what you do in your environment. There was one study mm. that showed APOE4 people, if they got metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance syndrome, yeah they were around four times higher risk of heart disease. But if they did not have metabolic syndrome and avoided getting that, they were four times less heart disease risk Isn't than the other guys. So yeah. the paper said ApoE4 risk is totally and utterly dependent on whether you become insulin resistant. Mm. If you don't, right. ApoE4 have fantastic long lives. Yeah. Interesting. So genetics, schematics. <laughs> 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 so I'm a three three. Uh, so I ha I'm right down the middle. Yeah. I've, I have the average average of all. But um, I know that people who have an E four also sometimes when they do these genetic assays, they get um, told that they they're particularly susceptible to saturated fats. Mm. Is that something that you have an opinion on? Yes. Now the problem with this one is it's very hard to get actual data because no one has really done. A lot of studies on E4 so that we'd have the data but there's a lot on, right. on William Davis's uh, you know track your plaque wheat belly Davis the cardiologist he has a yeah. curality yeah. site curality.com it's a it's a subscription and a lot of guys on there are obsessed with heart disease and have mm. advanced heart disease some of them and they fix themselves with low carb and some with medications but long story short there's a lot of really smart E4s on there and they mm. discuss all of right. this. And it would appear from all I can find that an E4 eating a low carb, high saturated fat diet who is healthy will be fine. Mm. That's, that's yeah. my read on it. However, it does appear that an E4 who has become diabetic through vegetable oil and sugar and, and the other stuff. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Once they've become diabetic, they can have a sensitivity to excessive animal proteins or fats. And it can raise their insulin, hmm. trigger small dense LDL. And the way I look at it is the E4 is a fantastic machine. 
You know, it's a great genotype. Okay. But if the machine gets damaged, a lot of the rules are off. It's kind of like my smartphone. Right. <laughs> there you are. It's you wonderful. <laughs> but if you drop it, your life is screwed for a while. Well, yeah, and you may have to handle it more gingerly after you've dropped it yeah. because if you flex yeah. it or abuse it, it might just switch off. So I think the E4, it would appear that the safe way for E4s, if they have got, you know, they go really high responder LDL or small dense LDL or, or they react with higher insulin to, to a lot of animal products, if they go the real, you know, crazy keto eating yeah. loads of meat. Yeah, well, yeah. the simple thing is, uh, switch to fish and avocado. Just back off onto more <laughs> right. benign, you know. The reason I hate discussing this is because you're admitting there is a case where animal products, you may have a sensitivity, but that is in no way to validate in any way the absolute junk science of the last 50 years <laughs> on animal products. Yeah, sure. Right. The irony is it's people damaged by vegetable oil, sugars, and refined carb that lose maybe their ability to safely metabolize large amounts of animal fats. So even for those guys, it wasn't the animal fats that caused the problem. No, <laughs> it right. was the damn yeah. sugar that, that damaged them and caused them to not be able to eat the ancestral food. So, mm. you know, it's ironic, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is. I was just talking to someone about their experiences with the Atkins diet in uh, the early 2000s. And this person went on it and lost some significant weight, 40, 50 pounds or something, but um, didn't know enough about uh, protein, didn't know enough about salt like a lot of us back then and uh, got the nausea and the, you know, overeating mm. protein and the n not having enough salt and electrolytes because let's uh. face it, salt is bad. Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> oh. And so uh, went off it and gained all the weight back and then said, oh, that Atkins diet was terrible. Ah, it was a lot of that. It's, you know? It's unfortunate that it's not complete rocket science, but if you're missing pieces of information, it can seem like it, especially the big ones yeah. you mentioned. Uh, yeah, you couldn't stress enough magnesium, potassium, and sodium, and chloride. Recent papers are showing mm -hmm. that the chloride in salt is very important for reactions, not just the sodium. Sure. So all of these things are, as Ted Naiman, you know, Dr. Naiman says, mm -hmm. the human body is the most enormous chemistry set in the universe. <laughs> and it requires for optimal health, a dizzying array of these components. But the preventative medical system hardly talks about any of these crucial components and sure. salts and, and electrolytes. Right. Uh, they just talk in the most banal terms about plant-based diets and low fat. Yeah. Mm. It's crazy. But yeah, that's where I, but I think the low carb revolution now is under in full swing. Uh, the keto yeah. is gaining ground also as a specialized low carb. Diet mm. doctor has doubled size, I think, again in the last 12 months, you know, mm. Andrea wow. Seinfeld. Wonderful. So yeah. now I think the information is going to get out to the pockets of people like you described, Carl. Uh, yeah, more and more mm. and they won't fail because they'll get good I, information. I certainly hope so. And I think mm. you're right. I think that people are getting the salt and the uh, the keto flu and the, you know, don't overeat protein message. And yeah, but it, it is very hard when you've been told all your life that, you know, if you eat bacon, you're going to die, you know, heart attack on a plate, all those stupid uh, colloquialisms. Hey, I saw a movie yesterday 
that you probably know about and you might like, but I didn't know it existed until yesterday. It's called Magic Pill. Oh. Have you seen it? I No. And the only reason I... Ha- it looks great. It's got great guys in it. The only reason I haven't seen it, Carol, is... I went a couple of times to try and see it, but it appeared it was only releasing in theaters, possibly in Australia, and I couldn't yeah. access a copy a few months ago. Maybe okay. is, it, is it out now on general? Yeah, it's, well, it's on Amazon Prime in the States. Uh, yeah. I think it's on Vimeo as well. Oh, cool. But I'm not sure about UK. I'm not sure about Australia. You tried to find it in Australia, right, Richard? Yeah. So I got I got access to it on Amazon, but not on Prime. See, with Prime, you get uh, you get to be able to watch the stuff as part of your Prime oh, oh. Uh, subscription. Okay. So did you have to pay extra? Yes. For it? Yes, I did have to rent yeah. it or buy it, and okay. I bought it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's it's out in Australia and uh, on Amazon as well. So yeah, it's well worth watching. Excellent. Well, I I saw the um, the trailer first, and I can't remember. This is probably six months ago, and a, a lot of great guys were in it. I mean, was Jason in it? Jason Paul. Mm, Jason's was- in it. Tim Noakes, Nina Teicholz. Yeah, all that's yeah. what I thought. It, it, it had all the right guys yeah. in it. So I said, the content is going to have to be pretty damn good. It must be, unless they've yeah. got counterpoints with a bunch of other plant-based kind of people or something. I don't know. No, they don't. But they did have a vegan who uh, told why she went to a, you know, a more ketogenic diet. And the reason is she went vegan for ethical reasons she you know Mm. didn't like what we did to animals so she decided to plant her own garden and raise her own food much like richard did right but you weren't (laughs) vegan yep but you decided you know i'm gonna raise my own food because i don't i want to know exactly Mm -hmm. what's in so got all the plants and everything's fine now what do we feed the plants well all of the fertilizer that's natural is made from bone meal and blood meal she's like i can't get away from killing animals (laughs) And I just want to eat veggies. So oh. she did some uh, some research into soil. And soil is basically decayed plants and decayed animals. And that's what nurtures and nourishes. So then she sort of got the whole, you know, big picture. Cycle of life. Yeah, yeah. that it isn't just about, it isn't about animals, but the way that animals are treated in, in uh, commercial stockyards and feedlots and that kind of thing. And if you... You treat them, you know, as if they're part of the earth and let them do what they naturally do, then, uh, you know, you're just participating in the cycle of life, as Richard says. So, but uh, this was the first movie of its kind that I never had to say, ah, that's crap. I couldn't disagree with anything. Wow. Have you seen, Carl, the uh, That Sugar movie? I have. Which yes. was the last Australian one. Now, that one included David Avocado Wolf. I think the Who's guy's that? name is. Who's that? Who, he's the guy who invented the magic bullet. And oh. he has some really way out there um, uh, thoughts about nutrition. Okay. And th- so this movie is wonderful. It had lots of great people, Tim Noakes and really good people. Yeah. And then it had a few a few weirdos because, you know, these, these sort of movies sometimes Catch sweep up a few of the people on the far outskirts oh. of you know the the anti vaxxers and the the anti fluoriders and and so so but but it sounds like the magic pill uh, was able to keep away from that side of things which is good yeah they did as far as I know uh, I you, you'd recognise them when they pop up uh, like you say vax or fluoride and again not making any judgment on those those issues yeah but. 
when vax or fluoride or 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 even to be quite honest lighting and and led lighting mm. and and even wireless uh, who knows what the full truth is on, on any of those things but but when they pop up you're into a different kind of a thing uh, right. and i certainly yeah. stick to you know what we know what we've researched and the Based more science out there areas I mean, sure, maybe, mm. maybe in 10 or 20 years, we will find out that the LED light spectrums do cause significant issues. It's very, anything's possible. Right. But right now, mm. I can't find papers and data on it. Mm. Doesn't mean it's not yeah. true. But if there's no data, what's the point of me talking about it? Right. Uh, so right. it's great to see a movie that sticks to the core, like Nina, like, like Noak sticks to the core, Jason Fung. These are people yeah. who stick yeah. to the core of what we can influence what we can change in our life to make it much better. And they don't go down a hole into things that may be really important until they have data. It's from aliens. I've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> diet is going to get you 90% of the way there. People say when they go onto the ketogenic diet, you know, do I have to have grass-fed meat? It's so expensive. And I say, you know, generally, if you get all the grains out of your diet you, and all the sugar and starch out of your diet and you just buy grain-fed beef, you're going to get probably 90% of the way there. And by spending twice the amount of money and getting grass-fed beef, maybe you might get a, you know, a, another 9% of the way there. Just moving to a diet high in fatty meats and low in grains and sugars and starches is going to do most of the heavy lifting in mm. improving your health. Well, you know, that's that's a great point. And my supporter as well, David, um, mm. he often is a very, very, he's a frighteningly smart guy, to be quite honest. I've never come across anyone like him. But the way he sees it is low carb, low sugars, low vegetable oils is exactly, it's 80% of it. So why not, yeah. when we're dealing with millions of people who are confused, stick to the simplicity of low carb, no vegetable right. oils, low sugars, and not fight the battle of you need to eat loads of fat? Because then, then you're picking yeah. a scrap with the uh, orthodoxy. So mm. if we're, if mm. we're clever about it, we want to let as many people know the main important thing, stick to just those core messages. Now, the meat, yeah, the grass-fed because it's got better balance of fatty acids and more omega-3, I'm not so sure because as Peter Ballastet has said, yes. in beef, they're so low poly that really the ratio doesn't matter so much. Right. Right, it's the absolute risk. Yeah, exactly. It's the similar, it's analogous. But I do wonder a little about the factory meats in America and certainly David uh, really has concerns and we don't we don't know the answer. The use of the hormones, they're illegal in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. And Australia as well. Yeah. What they use in America to fatten cattle up and all the hormones and, and stuff. If you were caught using those in Ireland, you'd lose your farm, literally. Wow. You'd get a 10 or 15 year ban and a huge fine. Mm. Yeah. Uh, years ago, people were using what's, what's actually legal in America. In Ireland, they were using it secretly and they were terrified <laughs> of getting caught because, mm. yeah. you know, you're, it's over. So what is the effect of all those substances they're using? I'm not entirely sure. Ideally, you'd avoid them, but we're not sure. The other thing, though, is if you stay away from factory meat, but you eat lots of vegetables, well, in the vegetable world, they're using loads of sprays as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Glyphosate, yeah. It's not just meat that you, you're not mm. sure about adulteration. 
it's also the vegetables. So it, it's a tricky one. And fertilizing those vegetables with the the bones and the blood of the animals that they've <laughs> raised in the factories. I mean, the the you can like like we discovered you can't get away from it. But I, I I think that it naturally happens after you go on a ketogenic diet, maybe you do some fasting, you lose weight, and you're like, well, that was easy. Wow. Where else can I go from here? Right. That's a logical next step. Mm. It's like, wow, I've saved all this money on my grocery bills. People tend to assume that it's expensive. Okay, it might be at first, but after you stop eating so much, your grocery bills go way down. <laughs> you know, it all works out. Then I think it's time to think about the the the, the ethical questions about animals and uh, the way the it, it, the beautiful way in which the cycle works when you let uh, pasture fed uh, animals do their thing. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah, it's an, uh, our big problem is getting the bulk of people just aware of the massive benefits they can get from just the first steps, Carol and, yeah. and Richard, what you said. That's yep. the big mm. deal. And then later you can hone it or the enthusiasts can read and, and study and decide they how they want to tweak it. Uh, the only thing I'd add in, um, yeah. even in the early steps, so you want to switch low carb, low uh, vegetable oils, uh, sugars, and uh, towards keto, certainly, if a lot of weight or diabetes. Uh, but the sun and exposure to UV and vitamin D and the potassium, mm. magnesium, and maybe omega-3, you'd probably add that little batch of, of beneficial things and sleep and stress. Yeah. Uh, if possible. I was just going to add sleep. Yeah, if possible. Yeah, sleep is very important. And yeah. the thing might be they get a huge boost from going keto, for sure. Mm. But if you just sprinkle in some of the other things too, the synergy, you know, get an even bigger yeah. boost, get even more enthusiasm, it'd be nice. But if you add too many rules, then, of course, it gets all kind of complicated. And hold on yep. a minute. What's this crap? Yeah. Right. That, yeah. Yeah. In the mornings, I try and get about 15 minutes of morning sun. In Australia, of course, sun, I mean, Australia is the uh, the, the, the capital of uh, skin cancer. Mm. And so everybody's paranoid about getting sun. But I try to get about 15 minutes early in the day. I don't. I don't try for sun exposure at midday. That would be crazy in Australia because it's so it's hot. Powerful. But certainly, you know, 15 minutes when the sun is low um, and you just have to, it's consistency is the thing, is just do it on a regular basis. And my vitamin D levels have come up nicely. So, mm. you know, um, good. from quite depleted to, I think I've, I've got my, my my numbers here somewhere. I think they're, I think they're 180, but. Um, oh, nanomoles. Oh, that's the, quite high. Trust, yeah. Nanomoles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, that's so, so that's uh, yeah. So, so quite, quite good. Yeah, mm, excellent. So, what's next for you, Ivor? What are you working on now? Oh well, yes. Uh, next is really uh, I have some meetings in Ireland on, on on related topics in the coming weeks. But really, uh, with the book coming out, I think twenty fourth, twenty sixth of February in the US, Victory Bell Publishers, Simon and Schuster, but available worldwide we'll start ramping up activity around the book. And the first real step is on the, I think the 28th or 27th of February through to the 2nd or 3rd of March, Breckenridge, Colorado, Dr. Jeffrey Gerber ah. and Dr. Rod Taylor are doing the low-carb yeah. uh, Breckenridge. 
and yeah. I'll be over yeah. there and I'll be speaking. And so will we. Oh, yes, of course, you'll be there as well, yes. Yeah, we'll have a party house. And- You're invited for dinner again. Yeah, yep. excellent venue. So, I, it's getting bigger every <laughs> year. Uh, the streaming is getting mm. thousands of people signing up at a very reasonable price of $50. You know, you have no expense excellent. and you can go to all the talks for 50 bucks. So, we'll bring boxes of books there. And then um, I know KetoCon I'm going to go to in June and then Low Carb USA, I think it's July. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start adding in more venues uh, and also a lot of podcasts and uh, interviews and there's some media is going to be drawn in by the publisher. So in the next few months, mainly relating to book and beginning to research new material. And I have a plan to look at doing something in the video sphere uh, later in the year. Uh, I'm not sure what yet. Cool. Uh, hmm. As in nice. maybe low budget kind of movie around this, but but uh, we, uh, details yet to be decided. Awesome. <laughs> well, we're planning Keto Fest again this year. We'll have a oh. Kickstarter up very soon. So we when? hope you, uh, mm-hmm. the tentative date is July 21st, that weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Cause, and I'm not sure when low carb US, I'm always thinking of efficiencies because for me to the US, you know, if two events sure. are within... Yeah. And me too. You, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. <laughs> from Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, 2020-something. 20, 21st is the oh, Saturday. 21st, right. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Mm. I'll make yeah. a note of that. Yeah. That was super last year. We can't commit to anything until we do the Kickstarter, of course, because, yeah. you know, everything that we do is is sponsored by by donations by our listeners. And so, and Keto Fest was no, no different. Last year, we did the whole thing sort of uh, sponsored by the people who bought tickets, you know, yep. um, in advance before we had any speakers. All we said was, we, we know a few people and they seem to like <laughs> us and they, they've promised, they've promised if we can have a festival, they'll come along. And then people like yourself and Jeffrey were just very generous. You came to the event and did a wonderful job for us. And so you, thank God we had fun. It was great fun. You're welcome. You're welcome back again. There's without with no doubt. Oh, no doubt. thanks guys. Yeah, no, it was great fun because the conferences are all fine, but um that was the real fun one and that was the one I kind of really enjoyed because it was a festival. You know, it wasn't yeah. all just nerdy conversations. It was nights out, plenty of wine and beer, you know, yes. and just a festival <laughs> yes. feel. Summer in in near mm. New York. Perfect. Yep. So mm. great. And same place pretty much, yeah. Yeah, same exact oh, place. Same place. Okay. Yeah. Same people, same restaurants, same movie theater. All right, Ivor. It's been great talking to you. You keep in touch now. Thanks a lot, Carl. Delighted now. Left it too Thanks. long this time. And Richard, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ivor. We'll see you then. Cheers. Bye-bye. Could you save your for a little? I always love talking to Ivor Cummins. Yeah. He's just uh, the real deal. He is. Are you uh, peckish? Yes, I am actually. <laughs> I think it's time for some recipes. Recipes. Play that funky music. Recipes. <laughs> I haven't done my Barry White in a while. No, recipes. So, what have you got for us, Carl? Uh, well, we're doing small plates this year, mm-hmm. as everybody yeah, knows. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we're as organized as we thought we were going to be about uh, you know doing a a separate nationality every uh yeah every month yeah we're now into february and we're still doing tapas <laughs> yeah exactly and i don't know mm-hmm. if i would call mine tapas but it is a small plate it's basically okay. lamb lollipops right lamb chops okay. mm-hmm. and not just lamb chops bacon wrapped lamb chops and not just bacon wrapped <laughs> lamb chops 
deep fried bacon wrapped lamb chops. Oh yeah. The the looks of horror on people's faces when I tell them what that I'm eating deep fried bacon wrapped lamb chops <laughs> is amazing and at the same time they have no problem downing french fries, right? Of course. Uh, but french fries are fine or maybe they're just so bad we don't think about them. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. When you say, hey, I had some deep fried bacon wrapped lamb chops for lunch, they look at you like you're going to die. Yeah, you're going to die, boy. So, all you really have to do to lamb chops is salt them and uh, wrap a piece of bacon around them and chuck them in the deep fryer. There really isn't anything more to it than that. Mm -hmm. The secret, however, is in the sauce. Okay. Yeah. So the lamb chops that I get, I usually get a rack of lamb, mm -hmm. and and so these are the Frenched, you know, small. They're already Frenched. You don't French them yourself. Yeah, no, I don't French them mm -hmm. myself. I don't have to. I mean, I can, I get them that yeah. way. Right. Um. So I just cut them into individual bones. So they're probably mm -hmm. what uh, three quarters of an inch thick, something like that. Whatever yeah, they naturally yeah. turn out to be. Mm -hmm. Space between a rib. Yeah, and you take some really good thick fatty slab bacon and wrap a piece of bacon around <laughs> a lamb chop but you got to put a little salt and pepper on there first right yeah because yeah. yes the bacon is salty but you want to salt the meat yeah lamb likes salt lamb loves salt mm -hmm. all right so on to the sauce and uh, this is a dipping sauce or a pour over it sauce whatever you like mm-hmm it's um, it, to make this sauce, and I don't even know what you would call it, you, you take about three quarters of a cup of extra virgin olive oil, mm -hmm. crush four to five cloves of garlic. Mm -hmm. You want yep. uh, to chop some rosemary so you get about two oh, tablespoons. Yeah. yeah, lamb likes garlic and rosemary. Mm. And uh, you want to chop up some fresh parsley leaf, maybe about a quarter cup of that. Okay. And you're going to zest a lemon. Ooh. So take the zest of a whole lemon. Yep. And then mm -hmm. you're going to put the juice of half a lemon right in there. And this really makes it pop, that lemon. It sounds almost like a chimichurri sauce. Almost like a chimichurri, yeah. yeah. With, 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 with the rosemary or... Yeah, there's a Cuban sauce uh, with garlic and parsley and lemon called mojo. Okay. Which is also very similar as well. Also yeah. something you pour over meat. Right. This sounds great. Yeah, so go on. So the only thing left is about a teaspoon of salt and some fresh cracked pepper. And of course, mm. you know, these are the basic ingredients. If you like it more lemony, you can add more lemon. I love the lemon juice. It just, and the zest, it makes yeah. it sing in your mouth. It's yeah. just so good. Yeah. And so, you know, put a little one of these on a plate, put a dollop of that sauce on it with some of the good herbs in there and some lemon and lemon zest. And man, those things are awesome. When nice. I get uh, lamb lollipops at my local restaurant, here that we went to and we got them there tony's yeah yeah nice. he he puts a little uh arugula and lemon salad right you know arugula dressed with olive oil lemon juice and salt yeah. uh in the middle of the plate arugula in australia is called rocket yeah it's called rocket almost everywhere else but america isn't it <laughs> yeah yep, i think so yeah that's what i got so yeah, that's awesome. Uh, interesting thing you say about lemons. I, I love lemon zest because that's where the oil is oh, in yeah. the lemons. And we, we've got a lemon tree out the back and we have possums. Uh, everywhere in Australia has possums. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the possums will eat the zest on the outside of the lemon and they'll leave all of the juices inside because huh. 
They're not fools. They go straight for the fat and avoid the carbs. Yeah, that's right. That's what the oil is and the flavor, right? It is. So what you got, man? Oh, I know what you got. You've got churros. I might have had churros. What? Except- what? <laughs> well, you we're, killing we're me, just, Morris? We've just, we've just interviewed <laughs> Ivor, and Ivor's an Irishman, and I can't go without doing a recipe based on potatoes. Okay. But it, there's going to be no potatoes in this recipe. Okay. I promise next week is going to be the churros. Next yeah, week, you said that uh, last week, week, the week before, be the week before, and the week churros before. Churros with chocolate sauce. <laughs> <laughs> now, this time I'm going to make this. Now, this is a tapas recipe called patatas bravas. Okay. But I'm going to be making no patatas bravas. <laughs> patatas <laughs> bravas. Patatas bravas. So, <laughs> the trick here is instead of using potatoes, I'm going to use red radishes. Yeah. I, I, I noticed Brenda Zorn mm. has been cooking and deep frying radishes like potatoes. Yeah. And they yeah. look great. I've never Ooh, had them. Yeah. I, so, so there's a number of different kinds of radishes you can get. The little red radishes are the traditional um, ones you probably have it in America. We certainly have in Australia. Yeah. And this is a, a very Western European thing. But there are Asian radishes as well. You can get uh, the daikon radish, yeah, which daikon. is a long. It's almost. It's like a really large carrot in yep. shape, and yep. um, that. And you can you can grate those lengthwise and make noodles out of them, which mm. is uh, another yep. option for zoodles. But anyway, so this recipe. It's going to be similar to that recipe I did with the the uh, with the chorizo. So mm-hmm. what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with uh, a chorizo sausage, uh, nice. a one link of chorizo sausage, and this will this will feed two people comfortably. Uh, and the other ingredients are I'm going to get a quarter of a cup of my smoked tomato sauce I made for that other recipe, yeah. which is basically I just put I, I cut tomatoes, put them in a in a hot smoker, and then blend them up, and then. Um, uh, store them as ice cubes. So, right. Uh, th- this is like a it, it's smoked tomato uh, paste that I can pull out of the freezer anytime I want. Uh, but the recipe's on on our blog, so uh, you can easily make that. You don't need a smoker; you can do it on in an oven. If sure. You want. I'm also going to use four red radishes, and I'm going to use about a tablespoon of dry red wine to deglaze the pan. So. I start off with uh, I'm going to slice these chorizo into battens, uh, and then I'm going to dice them into one centimeter chunks. Very similar to last time. What's a batten? So a batten when you uh, slice a uh, a piece of produce into long matchsticks. Okay. That's called a batten. Okay. And then when you then cut that uh, vertically into into little, little cubes, yeah. that's your dice. So yeah. so you, so if you have a piece of produce like a, yeah, a celery, a for example, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to cut a plate is first. Yep. So if you have a bell pepper, you cut one one cheek of the bell pepper off. That's it. called a plate. And then when you slice that into long thin bits, that's called a batten. And when you slice it further into into small little cubes, that's called a dice. So Very we're good. actually ending up we're ending up dicing these sausages. Now I use a smoked chorizo. Um, it's not the really hard one, so it doesn't end up with yeah. hard edges. It ends up with sort of soft edges. But nice. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to fry the chorizo, and the, a lot of the fat from the chorizo is going to render out. So we're going to once the chorizo has turned golden brown, we take the the meat out of the pan, we leave the fat in there, and uh-huh. now what we're going to do is we're going to put some diced radishes, again, a one-centimeter dice, into that pan of chorizo oil. If the pan's a little bit dry, add a little bit of lard or something just yeah. to give it a little bit more jush. And then so so we're going to fry the, uh, the radishes in the rendered-out chorizo nice. oil. 
And so on the plate, on the bowl, we're going to start off with the chorizo on the bottom of the bowl, mm-hmm. and then we're going to put these radishes that have been fried in chorizo oil over the top of that. And then once I've taken the radishes out of the pan, I end up with a, a pan with a lot of fond on the yeah. bottom of the pan. That's right. sort of the crispy, crusty bits on the bottom of the pan right. uh, that have got little bits of chorizo, little bits of chorizo oil, and little bits of radishes of all sort of caramelized. I deglaze the pan by putting in a tablespoon of red wine. Yeah. And what that does is that pulls all of that tasty fond off the bottom of the pan. Sure. Into your sauce. And mm. then uh, I add um, a little bit of the tomato sauce, uh, a quarter of a cup of tomato sauce, and I reduce it a little bit until it's a nice thick sauce. Nice. And then I pour that over the no patatas bravas. Nice. So that's my dish for the day. That's my tapas for the day. Nicely done. And I promise next week at Churros. Con chocolate. <laughs> yeah, you better. I mean, we got some angry churros uh, people out there. Well, uh, that's the show. It was a great show, and uh, thanks to Ivor Cummins for coming back and, and uh, hanging with us. We had a great time. Always a pleasure. So, of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2ketodudes, on Instagram at 2ketodudes, and make sure to use the hashtag 2ketodudes. And, of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk mm-hmm. with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our podcasts and our forums, think about making a pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com or just hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on iTunes. That's how new people get to know about what we do. 2 Keto Dudes is brought to you by 2 Keto LLC who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Well, buddy, keep calm and keto on. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right, we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.